You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. I've been speaking a fair amount over the last several weeks about pain, resistance, and we can look at pain in relationship to this teaching in a very, very elemental way. Any and all discomfort, physical or emotional, is essentially intensity that we want to move away from. The more we want to move away from it, the greater or more deeper or more deeply the hooks seem to grab us so it's almost self-fulfilling the more we want to run the more intense the pain can get and it's very, it's counterintuitive actually to face face our discomfort yet this is what each of us does when our time is up when our time is ultimately up, when we are on our last few breaths, we essentially just give into what is. And if any of you have had the great honor of being near somebody as they're going through this process, it's an amazing teaching. So our practice really is meeting the time that we have left with a conscious approach to everything that comes our way. Every single thing that comes our way. So to uh, throw a little Buddhism at you, we uh, look at this as essentially we go through life facing two truths or dealing with two truths more often than not we only see the limited or contracted truth it's a term i tend to use but you can you can pick suzuki roshi i thought did just brilliantly said it's a it's our small self the contracted or small self the self that sees itself as separate from everything else I'm in here and everything else is out there. That's the small self. The big self actually goes beyond yet brings along the small self. Just like each of us in this room goes beyond yet brings along our childhood. None of us are children any longer yet we have access to those feelings we have access to those experiences some pleasurable some painful all the time it's there and so as we transcend yet include everything underneath as we expand in our consciousness from the contracted to the expansive we don't deny 
We don't get rid of the small self. We merely include it in a much, much larger container. So the Buddhist philosopher Nagarjuna talked a great deal about this. Okay, He called it the middle way. That in fact, if we live in either one of those truths totally, negating the other, we are out of balance. There is no ease, as I mentioned before. When we don't have ease, we have dis-ease, or we call it disease. You can have what uh, we call Zen sickness in the Zen tradition, which is you just kind of flop down and just, you know, uh, exist totally in ecstasy, the ecstasy of uh, uh, kind of a, an uncontracted awareness. You can also live in the typical uh, uh, delusion that we tend to see every single day in ourselves and other people, which is quite simply that I'm separate from everything else. The work, then, is our ability to go from that feeling of separateness to open to what is infinite, okay? And then let that infinite inform everything else. So we open to infinity and then we walk with that consciousness back into the day-to-day -day world. We don't just rest on the couch. Okay? We don't just simply stay metaphorically on our cushion the whole time. All right? We participate in the world, but we participate with an ever-expanding heart and an ever-expanding mind. And that's really the teaching. That's the real big lesson. And we can kind of unfold into that in us which is bigger the minute we allow for things to be as they are and participate at that level of surrender. We are continually surrendering to what is. All right? And in that surrender, all right, it does not mean that we just say, oh, everything's fine. You know? Everything's fine, no matter what happens. I won't even, you know, lock the house anymore. I'll leave the oven on, you know, because whatever happens is fine. House burned down, oops, fine. All right? That's not where we're going with this. That's a, that's a misunderstanding or misappropriation of the teaching. Essentially what we're trying to do is live consciously, live mindfully, watch our thoughts, witness our thoughts, witness our feelings, witness our experience. And that carries us into the space between our thoughts, between our feelings, between our experiences. And once again, we call that the middle way. That middle way carries us into the heart of awakening. And the awakening is simply being able to meet everything as it arises with complete and total relaxation. That's it.
one of the best ways we can see challenges to this is by studying our mind's attachments, studying the things we identify with, studying the things we hold on to, studying the things that give us stability. And a great way to actually help this process along is to look very, very carefully at your preferences. What are your preferences? I like black. My wife does not. Hmm. My attachment, her attachment. All right? The minute it becomes an attachment, it becomes an impediment to evolving into the expanse. So, every single thing you hold as a preference clues you into something deeper, which is the attachment. The attachment is exactly the thing that keeps us contracted. Okay? If you study your preferences as you go through the day, just try this. It's fascinating. Studying your preferences as you go through the day, you begin to develop a much more conscious participation with the world. If you just see what you prefer, and keep in mind, the preference is not bad. It's not bad. The preference just arises. Your relationship to that preference is what determines whether it actually will begin to contract or expand your awareness, whether it will support a contraction or support an expansion. In this way, every single thing can become our teacher. Everything. Everything. The universe, as I constantly yammer on about, is always giving us precisely everything we need to open up everything we need to expand regardless of circumstance, regardless of how much money we have in the bank, regardless of how much food we have in our belly, regardless of our wine collection, regardless of the car we drive, regardless of previous experience, regardless of hopes and aspirations and dreams. It's not that any of those things are bad. They just don't play into this at all. And that's difficult, especially in this culture where we predicate everything pretty much on that which we have achieved, that which we have, or that which we have done, the place we have come from, the experiences we have, the diploma we hold. It still is kind of an interesting, interesting situation that we develop an identity. And we prefer that our identity give off this particular light. That our identity or our sense of self express itself in this particular way. Or we prefer that people not actually behave in this particular way. We prefer to have this instead of that. 
in that space of preference, we contract. Where the preference comes from, its essence, its origin, is infinite. All things are born from infinity and have the infinite infusing them. To make that conscious, that idea conscious, is freedom from our preferences, is freedom from our attachments, so that we live consciously as a manifestation of the all. That we live consciously with our pain and with our glory in ways that allow us to allow all things to teach us. What I'd like to do is talk to each other. So what I'm going to do is I'll pair you up with a partner. And I want you to recognize that the person you're being paired with is an expression of the infinite. The person that you're being paired with is far beyond the beauty that you may see in them. They're far beyond the quirks that might tweak a preference in you. All right? What I really want you to do is simply articulate a response to the following prompt. Okay? Finish this prompt. On the whole, the preferences that come up most for me involve... Okay? That's it. Now, this can carry you into, if you wish, and please feel free to bend these rules, okay? Where does your preferences lie in relationship to spiritual practice? This is always the most fruitful, okay? If you want to really kind of make it tough, how does it relate to this particular version of a spiritual practice? Most everybody here uh, uses the, the, the meditation work that we do in here in conjunction with another tradition, Okay? or they're finding that this is kind of a new thing for them, regardless. Where do you see your preferences coming up? How is this practice striking you? Okay. Got the mic. Um, well, Wes and I both came, you know, kind of like grew up in um, kind of like a Judeo-Christian background, him being Mormon and me growing up in an evangelical church. Mm -hmm. And we both felt like at a certain point um, in time, you know, years ago, we just felt like the Judeo-Christian theology was very, you know, set in its ways and dogmatic in that, you know, you have to believe in X, Y, Z to get into heaven, you know, or else you're condemned to hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though they don't come out and say, you're condemned to hell. Right. But, you know, you know, that's what the theology is. The um, theology of implication? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And one of the things we shared 
that we enjoyed about um, Asian philosophy is, well, for me, I, I just thought that at least the American style of Zen seems less dogmatic. Although I know that, you know, in Chinese Buddhism, it's very superstitious because it was it's weighed down by many, many years of, you know, beliefs and traditions and stuff. But um, it's just, to me, I think America Zen just seems fresh. And I like the fact, in a way, that we don't focus very much on, you know, issues of reincarnation, um, you know, like I've, I've hardly ever hear you talk about karma, mm -hmm. if any, you know, in the last couple of months. I think, to me, American Zen practice, or is we're just most focused on just practicing, you know, just meditation, just observing your thoughts, and that's very refreshing. Thank you. I, I think so, too. I think the, the, the whole point, though, and you said it beautifully, is to keep it fresh. And the minute that it becomes a thing, it tends to get stuck in itself. All right? And so one of the things that you can help me and the rest of the group with is continually reminding us to keep it fresh by doing the practice. It's not about coming to, see, to hear me talk. It's about coming here to practice with each other. We practice with each other. It's, a, it's as if there's a collective point at which we can remind each other of what is infinite, what is still, and how those two things coalesce as one, rather than, as you mentioned, getting into a place where the religiosity of this work tends to put us into a, uh, a place of, well, I am in here and God must be out there. Therefore, I'm perpetually a seeker because I see God as being out there, not within. Well, that's about the most supremely egotistical thing I can imagine, that you are somehow separate from God, right? And there are all sorts of theologies, including Buddhism, that can do that. The great awakening for each of each of us is to look at how stuck any particular orthodoxy or any particular institution can be. When I went to Asia, I was I wanted to go. I wanted to put my feet where the Buddha put his. I wanted to see where it was really real because whatever was going on out here is you know can't be too real because it's in America and Westerners don't get anything. But what I recognized was that they were just as stuck in much of Asia as we can get here. So it's such a great point, the, the freshness, the, the, the ability to continually see this as an experience of both heaven and hell in this very moment. And the things that we do bring about both of those shifts that we are responsible for ourselves and everything else all at once. And these things give us then tons of work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your question and your comment, rather. That was cool. 
as he mentioned, uh, I was raised Mormon. And um, as I, I, I mentioned to him that one of my preferences actually, it lies in um, Theravadan Buddhism or uh, Vipassana. And, um, but more so it's, I've been, uh, ever since I left uh, the LDS church, it's been researching uh, a lot of different of the branches of, of Buddhism. And I find that each one is so unique and so different from each other. But at the same time, um, I always catch these different teachers saying that with all the small differences between each branch, they are all, they're all on the same path and they're all going to the same. It's, it's, um, it's all about following the middle way. And, um, So the more I study, the more I, I get confused, actually. <laughs> but um, <laughs> as I remember once saying to a, a, a psychiatrist I'm friends with, um, yeah. it's, it's almost as if as soon as you think you figure something out within, uh, within uh, the Dharma, as soon as you discover and you think you have the truth and you think you, you've got it, you realize that there's more complexities and more paradoxes and it's you just get more confused and more simplicity exactly right so the more simple it gets the more confusing it gets right but and that will always be the case wes always be the case as long as our mind is trying to grasp it that's true thank you thank you, thank you. well I, I am going to say something <laughs> i was going to pass the mic but i have it um I said just recently that my preference is to find the time to meditate. And I just, I notice a difference in my life when I meditate. And I'm not delving into this too deeply. I'm j I haven't studied it. I've, I've read The Power of Now, which is more or less what you say, and I find that interesting. But it's mainly that I like how I feel when I meditate. And I see, I see it creeping into my actions, my feelings, my judgment of, I, I don't give so much advice anymore. I just sort of <laughs> just let every people, you know, let yeah. people be and, right. and that's the way it is. And so I, my husband likes it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so that part is working for me. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess I interpreted the question of preferences a little bit differently, but kind of on Sheila's tack, because I started to think about during the waking up in the morning in the course of my day, what are my preferences? And I came pretty quickly to the fact of my routine and my big desire to figure out where I am going to put my time for meditation and it has become very important to me and I had to rework my, I mean I, I'm pretty much not working and therefore my schedule is my own and so this sounds absolutely ridiculous <laughs> for people who work and you know but uh, how am I going to fit in my pruning and my this and my that and oh my meditation but um, the last couple of weeks I haven't had I haven't 
made the time or been inclined to meditate for various reasons and it's really significant and I too have noticed where I have let go of things in my life, in my relationship with my husband and whether he notices or not, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it has, and I don't come from a significant uh, back, spiritual background or practice in my um, original family and so you know this has become the, the the path for me and it's I'm just going wherever it wherever I go with it but Great. it's important testimonials I think I heard your question differently too uh, you said my preference is and when I got past Pinot Noir and <laughs> <laughs> lattes yeah. or whatever right people came up um, I I want to find my people. And then as I was talking with Carla, I realized that I'm less so having sat for a while with you than I used to be, um, less judgmental, selective, but whatever, um, and more open to the different ways people are. Um, They're all my people. Exactly. They're all your people. Exactly. Right. We're all on this life and death experience together. And recognizing that fundamental reality when the meditation gets tough is key. Because you can go years and it becomes like this nice time to unplug. Okay? And then what happens is you start to feel more. Right? You start to recognize more. I had it explained to me once as if um, a dirty rag, it's very hard to identify a spot on a dirty rag. But the minute the rag starts becoming clean, the spot stands out. The minute we start to, in essence, kind of shake this stuff loose, sometimes we begin to actually feel more intensely and it's not because the feeling is any more intense, our awareness has changed. And so we need to be very, very careful. Very, very careful as our awareness begins to become hypersensitive, not to allow that to push the meditation practice out the window for a week, maybe two, maybe three. It's a, it's a real, real interesting, interesting self-defense for the self, the small contracted self, to do that. So... Uh, recognizing that we are all each other that we are all made of stars you know can kind of help also having a sangha is really helpful <laughs> to be honest i don't really know if i interpreted your question right or wrong or anything like that or what but i think just what I appreciate is the authenticity of whatever goes on in here. And that's why I'm here. That's my preference to the fact that most of what goes on outside of a room like this isn't very authentic. Um, I mean, I had probably one of the most miserable experiences of my life in here last week. <laughs> but I'm thrilled by that because 
because it 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 was that real for me and i don't have the time or whatever for that out there so it's it's basically just that whatever it is it's real and then you know the next step is taking this reality and beginning to fuse it with that reality so that there is no difference between inside the zendo and outside the zendo inside the self outside the self it's all one thing and it looks just like the big bang thank you all so much for